Welcome back to Pedagogy Non Grata, where we bridge the gap between the scientific literature and teaching in the classroom. I'm your host, as always, Joseph, and I'm joined here today with Jennifer Sear. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the Amplify CKLA um, language instruction program. Um, before I mess up anything else, full disclosure, this is our, already our second attempt, and we're about two minutes in. Um, Jennifer, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? All right. Hi, uh, my name is Jennifer Sear. I'm a school reading specialist. I live in Sanford, Maine, but I teach in Rochester, New Hampshire. I've been there since uh, 2004, and I would say my um, district is fairly up on scientifically based practices. And this year, we are in our first full year of implementation of Amplify CKLA. So, you need <laughs> no, no, that's great. Uh, how long have you been teaching yourself? I've been teaching since 1996. Uh, 1996. Break, yeah, since for short break since graduate school, you know, but I've been back and forth. I've taught middle school, but I've been in Rochester the longest. Wow. Well, uh, you've got quite the experience on me. I, I have been teaching for 10 years and I was six years old in 1996. So you you could have been my teacher. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about Amplify? Because, uh, you know what, prior to about a week and a half ago, I didn't even know what it was. Oh, okay. Well, we, um, implement, the Amplify triangle of products. So we have the core program, right? Which is um, K through five in our district. And it has a, a knowledge strand and a skill strand. So depending on what age level the kids are at, you receive different doses of knowledge and skills um, at, through the years. Uh, it is has a pretty strong phonics and phonology program. Um, and then the teachers teach that program in the classroom whole group for about two hours a day. Okay, so that is pretty intensive reading instruction at the core level. But in addition to that, we um, use the, the screening assessment that kind of is attached to that, the, the Dibbles M class. And um, what that does for us is it assesses kids and then places them in a connected intervention program. So we have this Amplify CKLA intervention which is unlike anything I've ever worked with before. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I can you know, follow up on that in a little bit, but then the third piece of the triangle is they, they've designed this app, the Amplify app. So this app is assigned to children individually. It places them using its own assessment and then they follow along a pathway. So this is for personalized learning time when they're kind of working independently or when the teacher's working with a small group. Um, they can do this app and it has its own set of assessments. So it really kind of targets and pinpoints the kid's need in that area. So uh, all of our kids uh, who are, we would have said tier two or tier three kids receive all three aspects of this program. Uh, the kids who were primarily tier one received the core instruction in addition to access to the app. But um, the, the kids who are struggling readers would also kind of receive the FaceTime with that intervention. That's really that's really awesome sounding. I actually really like that. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer that individualization is the most important thing. Um, and I, I think the reason why I'm sometimes skeptical of individual language programs is they, they can take out that individualization approach and just be like, this is how we're gonna teach all the kids. Um, when, you, the, when you're talking about the assessment, that really piqued my interest actually. What specifically is it trying to identify? So uh, M class is one of the Dibbles um, assessments. So I don't know if you've ever had a chance to use the Dibbles, but it's really 
based on the four part processor of the reading brain, right? So it has uh, pieces of the assessment that target phonology and phonics and fluency and vocabulary and comprehension and done in a very scientific way. So, you know, you can give the child this oral reading fluency passage and not only does it measure their fluency and their accuracy, but it also has um, a relation to their comprehension ability. And then you have further comprehension measures and then you have this brand new vocabulary test that we're able to use for the first time this year. Um, in addition, it, and this is something I'm still learning about, but they seem to have, they've created these additional assessments that go specifically with the Amplify intervention. And I think it's testing surface dyslexia specifically because there's an irregular uh, word test, a regular word test, a multisyllabic word test, a word pattern test that I really kind of takes all of this data. And, um, and in addition to us being able to kind of look at the data as a team and say, okay, here's where they're strong, here's what they need, but it also prescribes instruction. So I can take, you know, one child and I can hit a button and I have 10 targeted lessons with materials attached created for me that I can then use immediately for an intervention with this child. Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible. I'm that sounds phenomenal. Yeah, I'm an Orton-Gillingham teacher. And what we were trained to do through Orton-Gillingham was we have a scope and sequence and we follow the scope and sequence and we don't skip because even if they may have learned a skill, they may not have mastered the skill. And so we mm. want to make sure we cycle through. Um, but Amplify's intervention doesn't do that. So we are basically saying, here's what the missing pieces are uh, along this continuum. And here are the lowest level skill these children need in order to advance to the next level of the continuum. So that's, it's just that specific and that targeted. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and and I, I will say, I'm just going to throw this into the commentary as we're, we're talking, I've been um, reviewing the efficacy of different literacy programs in the um, scientific literature over the last two weeks. And uh, I did both um, Wilson and um Amplify this last week and the effect size for uh, Amplify and CKLA that was found was higher than the one found for Wilson. Although one possible explanation or, you know, possible disclaimer to give in Wilson's favor is that all of the students in the Wilson studies were um, diagnosed as either struggling with reading or dyslexia. So that might've tampered the results down. Right. Um, yeah. Pardon me? Yeah. yeah, you'd have to, you'd have to um, kind of limit your data in Amplify to really kind of get to it. But that's something I can do at the school level. So, you know, even though you're not seeing a whole lot of large scale studies, I can go into my data at the school level and I can hit a couple of buttons to kind of look at a specific population and say, here's how my, you know, IEP identified students are doing. Here's how my English language learners are doing. And so um, these are all things that, uh, because I believe the dibbles is a good assessment. These are all things I can do at the school level to make data-driven decisions at my own school. That's phenomenal. I really love that. Um, so I, uh, uh, the only like literacy program I've personally used in the past is RTI, which isn't really a program. It's more a framework. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I really feel like what you're describing would work really well with an RTI approach. Um, when you, you say this, are you using a software to sort that data? Or are you having to manually collect all this data and analyze it? 
So um, in the past, it was paper and pencil collection, and we would enter the data ourselves into the system. But with the new adoption, we were able to get kind of the Cadillac program. And so we use a touch screen and collect the data um, just as the children are reading or performing the tasks. I can just enter it right there. And then we'll have the data analysis within minutes. That's amazing. That, yeah, that cool. I don't know anything else about the program, but that alone um, piques my interest. That's very exciting. That's very cool. Um, what what other features do you think define this program? So, um, you know, we just came off of, you know, 10 years at using a different program where I think they were trying to find some marriage between balanced literacy and balanced literacy people and the science of reading. And in the end, we dropped it because it was just too balanced. And we really didn't want to say it's okay to use leveled readers with beginning readers. We want them in decodable texts until they're ready to read love, you know, their own uh, authentic texts. And so um, I would say this program really does try to adhere to a research base. So even if you're not seeing studies from actual students that are involved in the program, the design of the program is really based on a research base. And um, the, the, um, it really be, it's really based on a couple of things. Uh, the simple view of reading, right? So I, I wanna say that's Goff and Tunmer, is it? But um, it's basically the idea that language comprehension is what amplifies our reading ability, right? And so mm -hmm. the program spends an enormous amount of time building vocabulary and background knowledge in a vast array of topics for kids. And it cycles through from grade to grade to grade. So for example, every grade level in my school from kindergarten to fourth grade has a unit where they're learning about a different ancient civilization. So there's uh, the, the Native American civilizations and then the Roman and the Greek and the third graders are learning about Vikings right now. I mean, it's, it's a pretty wild. There's a, a, a Middle East, uh, like a, the Persian empire, right? That's what the fourth graders did and the Middle Ages. So um, the hope is that over time, all of this background knowledge is gonna to lead to a deeper and richer knowledge of the topic. The kids will actually have things to say about it and things to write about it because they've been kind of studying this theme in different iterations from year to year to year. So my past programs, I don't think were this connected in the area of content. Mm. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, it's, I'm gonna use kindergarten as an example because they, this is the biggest change for me as a reading specialist, but kindergarten in general, um, they, we've, they really have taken kind of the more recent research to heart and applied it to the kindergarten methodology. So uh, we are teaching sounds first, which is something we never did the old program. We're teaching sounds first, it's January, they're just learning letters now. Okay, and um, so our data looks a little different because our assessment asks us to test them on letter naming ability and their fluency with that. Well, most of them have just started learning letter names. So we really don't expect that bump in data now until probably March when they've had a chance to kind of commit that to memory. So mm -hmm. that's a little bit of an adjustment. But, you know, um, for the most part, I would say the scope and sequence isn't that far off from what I'm doing with Wharton Gillingham. I just think it's at a much more rapid pace. And then I would say the content um, aspect of it is very different in that they do 
dig deeper and they kind mm -hmm. of carry themes over time. That's really interesting. Actually, when I was uh, looking through the materials on it, that was the thing that stood out to me the most was the content knowledge aspect of CQLA. Um, I've never seen that focused on it in any other um, phonics, including program. Um, uh, in fact, if you go to the research page on the, both Amplify and CQLA website, they, uh, they list um, studies specifically on that, that concept as part of their research base. Um, do you feel that this makes a big improvement in the learning, this focus on content knowledge and connecting it back to reading? Well, I think in theory, yes. I mean, you know, Natalie Wexler's book, The Knowledge Gap, is kind of a new way of thinking about it. But the thing is, we were teaching a heavy phonics-based program for years and years, and we hit a certain level of performance and never could rise above it. And so we're hoping that this kind of rich exposure to content and this rich layering of knowledge year after year is going to kind of help with that. I think it will. I think I, like as an interventionist, I work mostly with dyslexic kids and I think um, I almost never get to do the morphology with them. I almost never get to do the vocabulary with them. But I think that with this program, I will get there. I will get there in fourth grade because they will they will have had so much time to build their vocabulary that I can actually talk about the origin of the word and the meaning. So I think I'm That's really interesting. So <laughs> I, and this is, I'm basing this off my memory. Um, the scope and sequence, does it go phonemic awareness, um, um, phonology, then morphology? Is that correct? No, um, you spend a lot of time. Well, and you may call it something differently than I do, but it's, it's pretty much um, phonemic awareness in kindergarten and then, um, phonics, right? So we do match sound to symbol very quickly. We just don't call the letter by its name until January. And yeah. so we're doing letter naming and letter naming is a phonics skill, right? And then we yeah. are starting to introduce phonics pretty heavily. Um, and we spend a lot of time um, on that through first grade and second grade. And then come third grade, it starts to change. And so they no longer have a separate knowledge and skills strand in third grade. Now it is all integrated and it is mostly word study morphology, spelling strategy. Yes. That like makes that. total sense to me. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm a little, actually a little torn on this one because the, the research on morphology shows that it's really effective in kindergarten, but the research is really limited. And I just theoretically, I can't wrap my head around thinking of why it would work. Uh, I've never, I don't know. So the idea of it, it's, it's using morphology starting grade three, which is right when the NRP shows the, that phonology starts to, to stop or phonics stops being as effective. Uh, it makes a ton of sense to me to then introduce morphology at that time. I really like yeah, that. Yeah, we're still doing things like we're still reading words by meaning. Like in second grade, certain word lists are, you know, synonyms and antonyms and uh, prefixes and suffixes. So they're still getting those meaningful pieces of words, but you know, they're also learning vowel teams and vowel spelling patterns in second grade. But in third grade, it's really. Uh, strategic spelling and then looking more deeply into Latin and Greek roots and things like that. That's awesome. So I uh, just a, a curiosity question here. Did you did you teach anything other than Wilson and uh, Amplify or did you go straight into Wilson and then straight into um, uh, I should, you actually you didn't say you use Wilson. You said you use Orton Gillingham. Um, I use Orton Gillingham. So Wilson was written 
yeah. out of Orton Gillingham training, right? So yeah. Orton Gillingham's been around for a bazillion years. Wilson is one program uh, that she she wrote following her. She had collected all of these lessons and she basically turned them into a program, an excellent program. And then I, so I use Wilson Foundations and I have used it for a long time, but not this year. <laughs> I've also used Spire. So Spire is an Orton Gillingham based program that is just more scripted than Foundations is. And it's also, um, offers the teacher who has less experience, so my paraeducators, my newer teachers, tons of passages and word lists and resources. So this is mm -hmm. a very teacher-friendly program, Spire. So I used a lot of that as well. Um, I'm also a LIPS teacher, so Linda Mood Bell, phoneme sequencing, right? So that was a major intervention for phonology. And then following that, my district kind of invested heavily in the 95% group materials, which we also use for support. And this was back when we were using a very weak core and the phonology and phonics pieces were not super strong. So we were using these materials to kind of support a classroom and give kids extra exposure to the skill during intervention. Um, I, I, I'm a Title I school, which means basically there's funding there we're a very small school, but we are, you know, the neediest Title I school in our district. And so, and my principals are amazing. And so if I say, I really want to try this, they will purchase the materials for me and allow me to get the training. So I've been lucky to have lots of training in different programs. That's amazing. I, I will say I, it might be a difference. Um, in Canada, we, we don't tend to use programs as much as I think they are used in the States. When I'm talking to teachers uh, online and social media from the States, I often hear using this program or that program and they they can be very passionate about them but as I, as a canadian teacher you're never given a program you're just told uh, this is the style of teaching we would like you to do um so it's, it's kind of an interesting experience to me uh talking about this so did you find that learning has improved between amplify and um your orton gillingham program well my data is very interesting so you in addition to it. in addition i love to data yeah, well, I love, I can show you some data, but year one of a brand new program, and it's also year three of a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm actually sharing a presentation with um, Donna, the head moderator of the Facebook page. We're going to present in New Orleans next week, which is very oh, exciting. Oh, wow. That's really cool. years, yeah, I'm super excited to be the lucky teacher doing this. But um what we're seeing is that from the beginning of the year to the middle of the year, our kids have made progress. Okay, so take my kindergarten, for example, initial data, 11% on level. That's not very great. Middle of the year, 33% on, on grade level. That's not very great either. But um, in the past, you know, we've managed to get 60, 70% on level by January. So are we seeing the effect of these children probably missed out on preschool? Right? Or, what are, or, or they've probably been doing a lot of screen time and less mm -hmm. interactive FaceTime. So it's really hard to say what the variable is. But if you look at my first grade data, okay, it's phenomenal. So we're already in the middle of the year. My first grade teacher has the class at more than 70% on level, like 74% on level. And you don't see this mid year in first grade. In 20 years, I almost never see above 70 mid-year first grade. So to me, that's a really hopeful sign. And the kids awesome. in second and third grade, they're bouncing back a little bit. So despite having interrupted kindergarten, interrupted first grade, and a lot of kids, we offer remote learning, but 
the neediest kids often don't show up, right? So I think that um, I think that our data for the end of the year will look good, and then over a couple of years, it's going to increase. It'll it'll get better. Do you have that data from your um, previous program too? Can you say that again? Do you still have the data from your previous program as well? I do. We have um, so before we switched to M class, we were like Dibble's Acadians, and we still have access to that old data. Yep. Oh, I see. Because uh, I, I often think something that sometimes it's missed by the average person when they go through the literature is that it's not really how much did the students learn, it's how much do they learn in comparison to a different approach that matters. Because hopefully, no matter whatever we give them in the school, they're going to learn something, right? Um, especially over a duration of time. I'd be pretty embarrassed if I was a teacher and my students didn't improve somewhat over the, the course of the year, right? But um, it would be really interesting to compare your 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 data that uh, merges over time with Amplify to your previous program. Yeah, um, I would say give us a year because um, because I still I think that the, you know the current kindergarten crew has had some uh, some. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a, a fair year to do it in, is it? But I think um, give us a couple of years to a year to cycle through this program and expose everybody to the skill, and I think that uh, then we'll have some good comparison. You gotta understand, like before we switch, before 2020, spring of 2020, you know the kindergartners were like 80% mid-year, like they were fantastic, and then 2020 hit and everybody panicked and the assessment didn't get done, so we don't even have data for the end of that year. You know, I just think. Oh, wow. You know, it's crazy. It's just, it was a hot mess uh, and we are rebounding, but. Um, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I've thought about it in my own province. So my province has shown math scores declining by massive amounts over the last 10 years. Uh, they went down 40% in 10 years and that was pre COVID. And I've been, we are about to find out our math scores for the first time since COVID. And I'm kind of thinking, Oh, I wonder what those are going to look like. Yeah. Mm. You can't be optimistic about that, but who knows? You never know. Right. Maybe they could be better at online learning at home with their parents tutoring them. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to let listeners know about the Amplify program? Uh, well, I think that um, they, this company, for whatever reason, has offered, they, they seem to have kind of taken this banner of science of reading, and they're really, really trying to promote it. So they're offering lots of things for free right now, um, including very powerful podcasts. Um, you know, they, I, I also a volunteer for the International Dyslexia Association and they are bringing experts to our association in New Hampshire and putting on a free workshop so that we can kind of spread some of this information about structured literacy, you know, across our, our region. So I think that um, even if you're not going to buy it. There's some really good stuff there worth exploring for teachers. And then I think that it still feels pretty new to us, but I'm hopeful. And I really love that the fact that our intervention is super targeted. It doesn't feel like going through the motions. It feels like every time my students are assessed, we have a new set of goals and they're meaningful goals. And when we teach those goals, we see them bump up. So I feel like in that sense, the data is effective. So I think overall, the big picture data will eventually prove to be effective as well. That's fantastic, to be honest. That would, the software alone behind a program like that would interest me, just for being able to have more specific knowledge and insight into students' needs. Because um, I, uh, I can't, I haven't looked at your, your program, so I, I can't 
uh, personally know how I feel about the teaching materials, but at the same time, just knowing exactly what I need to teach to a student and not having to manually enter that data myself, uh, that's, that's lovely. Um, is it expensive? You know, I was never told the price because I'm not the purchasing power. <laughs> we had um, so we had some grants um, through COVID relief. I think they're called ESSER funds. So our district was allocated ESSER funds. And instead of investing in other things, they invested in a brand new scientifically based core rating program. So that's where our money came from. It's good. I mean, I can't think of a more worthy investment for students, to be honest, than having good programming. Um, well, you... Uh, you and I have, I think, mentioned slightly in passing here the, the Facebook group that I've recently joined that you run that, by the way, is amazing. I have never seen a, such a great um, evidence-based uh, community on the internet. Uh, I participate in a lot of evidence-based internet communities, but yours is, has become instantly my favorite. Um, where can people find that on Facebook? All right. Well, there are multiple sites. So depending on your interest level, the, the one I work for is called Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College. And then uh, another one that's excellent for upper grades is um, Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College Grades 3 plus or three and beyond. Um, they, she does a super job. Our, I think ours is like the staff room, right? It's the water cooler. There's a lot of professional discussion, but there's also just a lot of casual back and forth. Um, the three through five site uh, really tries to keep it to mostly professional discussion. So that's a good one if you're like dead serious about. Oh, that, that was the one I was referencing. I thought that was the uh, one you meant. So that's Colleen Yazinchuk, who's amazing. Uh, she's from Rochester, New Hampshire as well. Oh, is she? Uh, it, it must be that that area of the country where, where all the brain power is being uh, concentrated. It's our um, district decided to invest in us, right? So when, when we came out of college, maybe we didn't have the knowledge we needed, but then our district said, you know what, let's just train all of the teachers in letters and let's train, you know, a cohort of them in Orton-Gillingham. And that's made all the difference. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today and coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. I, if uh, people are interested, I did review this program on my website, pedagogynongrata.com, um, but I did not look at it through this type of lens of qualitative. I was only trying to establish um, what is the efficacy we see in the literature, and there's not a lot of studies on the topic, so it's, it's really hard to, to establish an answer to that. So um, it's, it is really interesting to, to hear from the qualitative side. Um, and it, it's kind of funny. I feel kind of caught in the middle when I'm trying to review these things because sometimes you read things about the program and you're like, well, oh, that sounds amazing. I really like that. Um, but sort of the, my whole brand with this podcast and the, the website is not looking at the qualitative because it's, it's easier to be biased with the qualitative. So I'm trying to just know my role and stay out of that lane and not try and um, make comments about that. So it's really great to have someone who knows really a lot about Amplify come on the podcast and talk about it and share their personal experiences. So I'm really grateful for you coming on. All right. Well, I'm happy to do it. And I'm, uh, I think that, you know, we can say, hey, let's have some more quantitative data Amplify. And I'm sure that they will do so because they are very responsive. So we'll, um, we'll put I'm, the call, meeting with them tomorrow for some training. So. I, I actually might be participating in a study on Amplify, uh, which is really cool. It's going to be my first experience doing that. I've never done a study before, but I've been collaborating recently with Dr. Bernie Noll, and uh, we, we talked about doing a study. And in, in uh, the grade three to five science of reading group, we actually found some volunteers. So here's hoping we have to find control groups. So if we can find control groups, we will be doing a study on Amplify. So that'll be All really right. fun and exciting. It'll be a first for me too. 
Uh, that's it for now, folks. And until next time.